about a compulsory schooling. It's it's the law that our kids have to go into these spaces, right? And why don't we make it as beautiful and as loving and as encouraging as we can with our language? Boozoo, hello. Welcome to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. I'm your host, Leah Lem. And I'm your other host, Cole Primo. Miigwech for joining us today. Native Lights is, at its core, a place for Native folks to tell their stories. Every week we have wonderful conversations with a lot of great guests from many different backgrounds, policymakers, artists, content creators, you name it. We talk to them about their gifts and how they share those gifts with their community. And it all centers around this big point of purpose in our lives. And I can't wait to continue doing that today. Well, we get to have a great conversation today. We are talking with Leslie Harper. Leslie Harper is enrolled over at the Leech Lake Band of Ojibwe. And she lives up here in northern Minnesota and has worked in native language revitalization for quite a while. Leslie has been an Ojibwemuin and public policy student and advocate for over 25 years. And she actually co-founded an Ojibwe language immersion school at Leech Lake. So really committed to language. Nice. Um, right now she works with tribes and organizations in community planning, development, and evaluation. And she's the president of the National Coalition of Native American Language Schools and Programs, which advocates to uphold rights for education sites that provide instruction primarily through a Native American language. She does a lot more, and I can't wait to get into it with her. It's fascinating. Bouzou, uh, could you please introduce yourself and where you're joining us from? Hello, Anine. Ninasa sagajue gaboi kwe o masagamskawaku kag in the Kanesian o masagazagasquajame kagunjunjiba. I'm Leslie Harper. I'm here at the Leech Lake Reservation in the town of Cass Lake, which is where uh, I was raised, which is where I grew up. And that's where I'm visiting from this evening. Very nice. You recently presented at the Dakota and Ojibwe Languages Revitalization Symposium a collaboration between the Minnesota Indian Affairs Council's Language Revitalization Working Group and the Minnesota Humanities Center. Can you give us a little overview of what you enjoy presenting on? I am um, somewhat of a policy nerd. Mm -hmm. I have a background in public policy and in Ojibwe language revitalization. Um, So I learned Ojibwe language as an adult Um, got to really dive in and study it and learn to speak because I didn't speak when I was a kid. We just heard it around us in like the grandparent generation. We heard our grandmas and grandpas and all of their siblings and their cousins and stuff. But, you know, that was something that my parents didn't have and that was something that I didn't have and we would say like talk to us in Indian and then our grandparents would like turn to us and they'd be like what I don't talk that and they would just speak English to us Mm -hmm. 
And we're like, we hear you all the time. And they were like, what? No. So like that generation (laughs) and that part of time, right? So we knew it existed. But for me, I always wanted to be able to speak and they were always laughing when they would be together and talking Indian with each other and or we're just smiling. And I think about my grandpa and he was always so relaxed. You could just see it in his body when he was like hanging around and just able to hang around and speak Ojibwe and be doing whatever with his with his brothers, you know, and. And then to hear the the ladies, the grandmas and the aunties, you know, and they'd laugh and they'd cover their mouth and they'd laugh and then they'd say something else. Um, I'm like, what are they saying? Because they were looking like they were having a really good time. You know, they just looked their best when they were when they were in that frame. There's my dogs who want to talk Ojibwe too. One of our dogs does talk Ojibwe. And the other ones just understand. Oh yeah, they're just receptive <laughs> listeners. They don't they don't bark back, you know, Jibway. <laughs> I'll tell you guys about that. Yes, please. <laughs> so, hold on a second. All good. All good. So I always wanted to learn to talk Ojibway, and never really had the chance to. Besides, like elementary school classes and coloring sheets mm-hmm. and animal names but when I'm adult after schoolish age bopping around the twin cities uh there were language tables and there were community things and I was really lonesome too living in um living in Minneapolis so I like went to look for other Indians to hang out with right and um Went to a lot of language tables and was like, oh, this is cool. I'm starting to learn. And then realized like, hey, we have Ojibwe speakers at home that are a lot more easily accessible eh? Mm -hmm. than living here in the city. And kind of made my way home then and started seeking out other opportunities to learn language. So took some classes at tribal college and looked for other things to do and um, then decided, well, if I'm going to take language classes at the tribal college, I guess I'll enroll in straight up college because I didn't go to school right after high school. I didn't go to college. And um, so maybe like in my early 20s, I said, oh, well, I guess I'll start college. And um, I chose a public policy degree program through NACE College, which um, was a college that my folks were co-founders of Native American Educational Services. And that started in Chicago um, in the 1970s. And then they extended some campuses out, um, out to Menominee, out to Minneapolis, out to Montana. And so here at Leech Lake, we started a cohort campus and that was the degree program that they offered, public policy. And at the time, I was like, what does this mean? What does public policy mean? They said, well, you know, it's uh, it's how we, how we as natives eh, find our foot in the door in a lot of spaces. 
this is how we um, work our way through a lot of these self-determination efforts, through a lot of these other programs. And it's really to like build capacity in our native communities to do the things that we want to do, to build up our communities in the ways that we want to. And a lot of times, like that relationship of ours as native people is really, really affected by government policies, right? What is it someone said, we're the most regulated people in this country, like natives are the most heavily regulated people in this country. And so like finding a way to do a, um, to learn more about that and to become empowered in the area of public policy and to, you know, not just get our foot in the door, but open that door and walk through Mm -hmm. it and, and be part of the process. That's the idea behind that program. But something in it spoke to me. Mm-hmm. And so hopped in there. And what I got to do was build up a project that, you know, brought together public policy and my interest, Ojibwe language. And was like, yeah, what, where does our language fit in mm-hmm. in this world of policy? Like we're familiar with school programs for Indian education and there might be some language programs or you know but we don't see it in a lot of other places and so I got to like really explore that idea of putting it together and saying yeah how do we how do we prop up language in more of these policy making spheres that that'll influence more of what we're doing for real in our real lives every day. And when you're talking about policy, whose policies are you talking about? Are you talking about tribes or state, federal government? I love that. Eh? <laughs> we have, and, and so like you can, you can explore policy from that angle, right? Like, yeah, there is this idea of public policy, right? What is the public? What is the governing space, what is the space of policy, there's tribal policies, there's state policies, there's federal policies. I mean, there's there's this idea of international, right? And then what is really awesome to think about, though, too, is like personal policy. Mm. What is what is my personal policy towards public policy? And what does it mean to us as Ojibwe people? Like, how do we govern our home space what does policy affect in it in in an Ojibwe village in an Ojibwe community in that kind of a sphere we do have realms of influence and policy with how we decide what's going to happen in our homes which is because we're Ojibwe is connected to others in the community because of those kinship ties and those relationship ties like what we do really does affect the others, which drives into this idea of public policy. So, you know, I had a personal policy. We're only going to talk Ojibwe in our home. Wow. We're only going to talk Ojibwe to our son. Wow. And then what does that mean when we step outside of there, right? Like, can I find an Ojibwe speaking daycare? <sighs> babysitter for my child when I have to go to work Mm -hmm. that may be another personal decision but there may be a public 
policy, you know, is there any public space that's available for my child? When he gets to compulsory school age, is there a public sphere in which he can go and thrive in the Ojibwe language? There was not one at that time. And what does that mean? And there were other people in the community who talked about that too, like um, compulsory schooling being English medium and being so different from our homes and from our cultural spaces and that it was really having a negative effect on sustaining the souls of our children. And so then we got to get together with other people in the community and talk about what what does an ideal educational space look like for our kids. You're listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Today we're speaking with Leslie Harper, enrolled member of the Leech Lake Band of Ojibwe. Leslie has been an Ojibwe Moen and public policy student and advocate for over 25 years. Is this where the co-founding of an Ojibwe language immersion school comes into play? Yes. Yay! Yes! <laughs> we... We got to that place. I mean, when we had our son and he was a little guy and he was a little bit bigger and a toddler and we were like, okay, in our homes, we're only going to talk Ojibwe to him. Well, in we're, we're a really tight family. We would come to my mom and dad's house. We would go to our siblings' houses and they were all talking English, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, and, and so he was, he was pretty easily bilingual, you know. Mm-hmm. But there were people in our community who were like, why are you talking to Indian to your kid? You know, he needs to know English. They, you know, and there was this whole thing. Mm. Well, you heard that before, you said, growing up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so they said, what are you doing to this poor kid? And we we're like, we're giving him gifts. We're giving him what we didn't have. And, you know, he is pretty easily bilingual. But there was a point where my grandpa who always turned to us grandkids and said, I don't talk Indian. He, he saw that my son understood something really simple, you know, said, Oh, me nation or something, go get me a drink of water, you know? And he did, he went over and grabbed a cup and my grandpa said, he understood that. Yeah. You know, he's been hearing it all his life. And he said, I am never going to talk English to that boy again. Mm. And I was like, and he never did. Mm. He did not ever talk English again to my son. He only spoke Ojibwe with him for the rest of his life. Amazing. So that's something that my son was gifted. Um, And, and, you know, it ripples out the rest of us too, but that was something that we yearned for, but he, he saw it and, and he made that commitment and he kept it for Mm -hmm. the next several years, you know? And, and so here was this little guy and, and he had this incredible gift of elders around him, speaking Ojibwe to him, um, his dad and I working our hardest as second language adult learners. And then, yeah, this thought of compulsory school age is coming up. Oh, it was looming. And you're like, what are we going to do? Other grandparents were saying, oh, when my kids go to school, it's so hard for them. And they come home really different. 
and they're different to us and it's taking away their Ojibwe-ness. And um, someone in our circle brought up that, oh, they're doing language immersion schools in Hawaii. Have you ever heard of that? I'm like, no, but it sounds pretty cool. You know, actually, I think somebody said to me, okay, Leslie, you call Hawaii and find out what they do. Like literally call Hawaii. (laughs) Hello, state of Hawaii. Where are your immersion language speakers? And so we had to hunt down connections Mm -hmm. and we connected with these folks to really talk about this and really make it viable, you know? So you're talking about the uh, rounding people up and getting the, the school going. How, how did that, how did that go? Oh, it was incredibly easy. <laughs> it was just easy. Um, <laughs> no, we just, um, and, and we thought, you know, how's this going to work? Um, we used community organizing principles that we saw happening throughout all of our lives, right? Like, I think we came at a really fortunate time and space that we had seen, you know, all this self-determination stuff come up and saw people, our communities organizing around the early days of Indian education and getting that implemented. And so we said, well, that worked to get that rolling. Why don't we do the same thing here? And said, who's the affected people in the communities who would be interested? You know, we, we better get them in on this. And so there were really cool elders that we worked with, first speakers, Mark Wakanabo and Leona Wakanabo, Helen Cummings and Edna Whitefeather were a couple of ladies in our community that um, we had worked with on language projects earlier. Josephine Dunn, Johnny Mitchell, just a really cool crew. Uh, Mason Anacot, Bob Jourdain, really, really loving people who gave us um, their time and their hearts to say, well, maybe what you're doing is a good idea uh, to give us some support. Nabik, Adrian Liberty was really involved and he was our first teacher, partnered up with Mark Wakanabo at our school. There were just really good folks in the community who believed in this kind of stuff. Oh, Ginyu uh, Gijig. Um, he was out at the Bukhanagizik school as a principal and he offered up a partnership with the tribal school and said, Hey, this could be a really good fit for the school and having a supportive school administrator because all the other school administrators were saying, what, this is crazy. Those kids need English. Um, Nobody understood what we were really talking about and envisioning turn the school inside out and make it really look like our communities, look like the ideal version of our communities Mm -hmm. that a space where Ojibwe is spoken and, and to reclaim all that time. Like if you think about it, compulsory schooling, it's, it's the law that our kids have to go into these spaces. Mm -hmm. Right. And why don't we make it as beautiful and as loving and as encouraging as we can with our language. Mm -hmm. And uh, we opened up a language immersion school with a little tiny crew of kindergarten kids and said, we'll add, we'll add on. And every year we added another grade 
and added another crew of kids to enter. And then it became this thing where like, we never want to let go, you know, so many connections being remade in our community, so many new ideas generated and dreamt around what can education be? What can this mean? And how can this help our people? We knew these kids were coming out confident. We knew these kids were talking Ojibwe with each other and with old people in our community. We knew they were on the land. They were connected to the land once again. And a lot of our practices in an age appropriate way too, right? Like, and we've said, how long has it been since we heard kids speaking Ojibwe in our community? Whoa. Like, how long mm-hmm. has it been since there were children's voices speaking Ojibwe and left? Yeah. We have only heard elderly voices for quite some time in and around our communities. We knew we were doing something right. We believed in it and we knew we were we were led by by our tobacco and by our connections, our our beliefs in in the spirits too. They were with us. You're listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Today we're speaking with Leslie Harper, enrolled member of the Leech Lake Band of Ojibwe. Leslie has been an Ojibwe Moen and public policy student and advocate for over 25 years. Leslie is also a co-founder of an Ojibwe language immersion school at Leech Lake. Leslie, is English available then as an elective foreign language? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Um, And those are the questions, right? Like, you know, this is the first language of this land, Ojibwe. You know, if we're going to talk about foreign languages, let's talk about English. Let's go to that one first. And then all the other world languages, we hope you'll go out and learn. Yeah. Exactly. And we would, you know, and it was never intended to build monolingual speakers. We know that's not even like in the, in the setting that our communities are in, of course, at a minimum, these kids are going to come out bilingual Ojibwe and English. Mm -hmm. And then hopefully they're going to go out and learn a whole bunch of other languages because languages are just cool. Mm -hmm. It's just cool to learn languages (sighs) and to see the world through all these different perspectives. And it helps your brain do all this stuff. Um, The more languages you learn. That's true. So we did all of their other subjects in Ojibwe. So they were learning to read. They were learning music and science and math from an Ojibwe frame. Wonderful. Through all that, where does public policy come in? Um, running a school. Totally understandable. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Having to comply with, you know, regulations and policies and um, how do you accredit um, an educational program that, you know, looks different. Um, How do you navigate? And we had so many pressures. If you think about the year, the era, the 2000s, um, in educational policy, that was a really heavy duty um, 
pressure filled time under like no child left behind and really punitive kind of ideas around education. Um, You know, if kids don't test at this level, your school's going to get money yanked away. And um, this was going on all across the country. Right. But even even more so in Indian country. Um, we were given the tales that native kids are doing terribly. Native kids are at the bottom of the barrel. Mm-hmm. And we thought, well, maybe your system mm-hmm. isn't working so hot. So if we do this other way, because we've known for thousands of years how to educate our families, um, how about if we try something different? Cause your way hasn't worked for, you know, over a hundred years. And uh, there was incredible pressure. It's coming from not knowing anything, uh, but just like, how do you teach math and these concepts, you know, in Ojibwe when it's, there hasn't been education plans built around that? I'm just, yeah, I'm curious how that all came about. That's a good question, Cole. And um, if you ever come up with an answer, there's a ton of us language immersion <laughs> educators out here who would love to know. No, um, <laughs> it did. It was a complete rethinking, right, of like what is education and what is learning and what is a scope of learning? What is a scope of learning? in a bilingual situation because we knew we also knew that we didn't have enough people we didn't have enough second language speakers who could teach these increasingly difficult you know content area subjects in our language in middle school and in high school levels because it's incredibly difficult to figure out you know these topics and um we were, we were really, really searching for teachers who we would pair with a first speaker of our language as a good model. And so we would have this teaching team with these groups of kids in the elementary level. But we were, we were really stretched um, because we were making all that, we were making the education whole plan, the whole program from what does it look like to teach in these languages? How do we teach it? How do we find the new vocabulary? How do we find the new ways to do it? How do we assess? It's not as simple as, you know, flipping the switch, turning on the light switch and saying, oh, we just went from English to Ojibwe. Because even translating those concepts does not make sense. In so many ways, translating concepts doesn't doesn't make sense. Um, and so we really did spend a lot of time in the community as well, just considering, exploring and researching and talking with our elders and looking at pieces and saying, what does, what does education mean? What is the scope of learning? What is this going to be? And I think some, some subjects in some ways are easier to um, translate over some mathematical concepts are are really easy to think about but then there's really weird ways that they get thought about too and we would say oh well there's a different way to explore that idea maybe we have to look at um, how those angles look in your house or how do those angles appear 
in nature. You know, if we're talking about angles right. or something, or how do you describe this? Or there were people who spent years of their life trying to translate um, like science curriculum and say, how do you say water tension? And I was like, why are you bothering grandma while sitting at the table? She can't understand what you're talking about. Why don't you take her outside and go, you know, like tromp around in some mud puddles and you'll see the water tension and you can say, you know, like, hey, what's happening there? And, you know, so we have to like we again reconnected with everything that's around us and just the ways that we look at and interact with the world and can we find contextual ways to learn these topics pretty darn cool instead of them being really abstracted out and being in a textbook in a room like hey let's go out in the world and find these concepts this is pretty freeing like um the school year starts and it's rising season Mm -hmm. so we're gonna go out to the lake and we're going to bring in some rice and the kids get to weigh the rice the first day they come off the lake when it's all wet. And then we take it out and we spread it and dry it. And, you know, a couple days later, they weigh the same, you know, volume. And they're like, what? It doesn't weigh as much, mm-hmm. you know, they're like, ah. <laughs> but just working to protect that um, amongst all those pressures coming down from all of these different government forms that said, you shouldn't be doing this. Um, we were we were getting kids excited about school and about healthy living and community members excited and making new connections and, and amongst themselves and community members making like really comfortable, strong connections to a school institution where before it was like, arm's length you know um you know you you don't really belong in here parents and (laughs) grandparents and they were like no we really do and we would encourage them to come in but there were so many pressures um that Mm -hmm. that just kept saying that's not the right thing um so that's where you know public policy comes in saying oh we do have rights we do have rights to do this anytime we're dealing with you know, federal agencies and our government to government um, responsibilities. And there's the Native American Languages Act of 1990, which is this great policy statement by the United States that says it is fully their intention to promote and protect and that they have responsibilities to support Native American language revitalization efforts. that got ignored a lot for many a year. Um, they, you know, they would try to push that under the table and just try to ignore it. Um, but we just hold that up and we say, this is, this is a law since 1990, the Native American Languages Act, where, you know, you guys promised to work with us to support all of our efforts and um, there's some very specific rights in there that discuss education spaces, like teacher qualifications being waived for Native communities where like a state program may be too burdensome to go through or um, different areas like that, that, you know, nothing shall, you know, get in the way of a Native American language being spoken in 
public proceedings, including an educational setting. And we're like, so why are you trying to stop us, wow. you know, holding this up? And yeah. mm. this is our right. So that's like the other side of it is being a policy advocate and continually trying to bring that up and trying to assert our rights through that and make sure that that's supported. Mm-hmm. But it's it's nice to have like, you know, we have our self-determined, you know, um, motivations and like these things that we identify and think as authentic and legitimate um, ways of living and our own policies, self-policies, which is a great concept. But then to bring it into the greater, the larger citizenry of the United States, we do need to have you know, that touch point that makes people sit up and be like, oh, I guess we have to do it, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And that's where that policy comes in. It's, it's like a two, two pronged attack. Yes. So to speak. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Leslie. Yeah. Um, I really appreciate you you taking the time to chat with us today. Gosh, so much. And I feel like we were just at the tip of the iceberg. (laughs) That's amazing. Definitely glad that there's, you know, people in this world who are passionate about public policy because if we need those people. This is where, but this is the part where knowing our community and, and, and again, renewing those, those kinships and renewing those community ties and really understanding people's gifts. You know how we're, you guys, we're Ojibwe. We know that in our teachings everyone's given a gift right and and they're their individual gifts and it takes everybody together to contribute to making a healthy place to live right to make your village healthy like one person doesn't do it all or one so um like our movements our movements for health and change need all of these different pieces coming together and we need the people who are excited about teaching and we need the people who are excited about learning and we need the administrator type excited people and the policy people. Um, that's, that's a really important thing to remember. And I can put those titles on it, but it's really about just, we need to be relatives. We need to remember our relation to everybody in the community. Absolutely. <laughs> we need them all. That's great. That's great. Now that's a great there wrap up of thought right oh, there. Oh, uh, <laughs> <I tried. laughs> Okay, miigwech, yeah. Leslie. Thank you so much. Yeah, miigwech. Miigwech. Leslie Harper, enrolled member of the Leech Lake Band of Ojibwe. Leslie has been an Ojibwe, Moen, and public policy student and advocate for over 25 years. And boy, does it show she is wow. so passionate about yeah. what she does. It's very inspiring to, to, to see how passionate she is about that. And just all the work that goes into what she, what she had to do at the emergent school. And you're learning on the fly and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's great to hear yes. from her. And it's so inspiring to see her raise her son to speak. Yeah. First. So thank you to Leslie Harper. And thank you for tuning in today. I'm Leah Lem. And I'm Cole Primo. 
Miigwech for listening. Giga Wubberman. Giga Wubberman. Native Lights, Where Indigenous Voices Shine, is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. If you want to hear more Native folks talking about their gifts and finding their purpose, search for Native Lights, Where Indigenous Voices Shine, wherever you find podcasts, and find all of Minnesota Native News' content at minnesotanativenews.org.